It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 84, Frontier in Space. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Hi, you guys! That has nothing to do with the episode, but how's it going, Paul? I've always wanted to do that, you know? (laughs) There you go. Well, you gone and done it. Somebody did that at work this week, and I was thinking, you know, I think I'm going to do that on the next episode. (laughs) Well, you've done it. You can cross that off your podcasting bucket list. Oh. (laughs) Paul, it has been a while since we have visited the third doctor. Oh, yes. It was really nice coming back to visit this doctor, though. I mean, I really, I've enjoyed doing our, our master episode. It's been fun. It's been really fun. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Not only are we back with the third doctor, but of course, we are back with the master. We are continuing along with our master storyline episode reviews here, and we are finalizing our trip through the third doctor episodes, and also we are wrapping up Roger Delgado's run here as the master in this episode as well. So we got a lot to get to, but first, let's get to the details of this story. This is, of course, Frontier in Space. It was released in six weekly episodes um, from February 24th to March 31st, 1973. It was written by Malcolm Hulkey, uh, directed by Paul Bernard, and the synopsis on the TARDIS wiki is as follows. Uh, The Third Doctor and Joe are caught in the escalating tension between planets Earth and Draconia and discover that the Master is secretly working to provoke the two into an all-out war. (laughs) Paul, real quick, can you give us a quick spoiler-free rundown of your thoughts on this episode? Probably not, but I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed having Delgado back as the Master in this. I really... Kind of when I was watching this, I, it was bittersweet for me because the first time I watched it, it didn't hit home with me that this was his final episode as the master for a reason. Um, and then, you know, having gone back this time and watched it for probably the third time, uh, it was really kind of, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, 
yeah, he he wasn't back as the master because he wasn't able to be back as the master. And this kind of, you know, it, it changed my entire viewpoint of how I looked at his performance in this story, you know. Yeah, well, we'll get into some of the details of Roger Delgado and and what was planned and, uh, you know, what was going on um, after we talk about the episode. But uh, so don't worry, we will touch on that. But um, I like this episode. I've seen it several times, about half a dozen times now, this, this story in total. And it's enjoyable. I, I do like it. Um, I do like poking at it a little bit, too, because there are some over-the-top <laughs> shenanigans that happened in this episode. Um, as with most classic Doctor uh, stories, there are over-the-top shenanigans. But you could probably say okay. that about okay. modern Doctor okay. stories, too. Can I just go ahead and say that some of the costumes in this story arc are absolutely horrid? (laughs) (laughs) What? They're horrid. (laughs) You mean a general has a big giant collar like that? Oh, my goodness. The the general's uh, costume is highly unfunctional. Um. I wasn't even talking about that one. I was talking about the big egg-shaped headphone things, the, the helmet things that the people are wearing, and the, the big stuffed shoulder pads and the forearm pads. Oh, and... oh you're talking about the uh, the soldiers. <laughs> yes, they're horrible. The soldiers. That... Yeah, looks like somebody took a you know American football pads and stuffed them under a leotard and. Attached headphones, you know, <laughs> attached earmuffs via, uh, you know, a headband okay. around their head you know, with you know a chin strap. Thought, you know what I thought about with these helmet pieces that they were wearing? <laughs> Do you remember huh. the? You remember the pantyhose that used to come in the giant eggs? <laughs> no, that that may have been before your time. You know, they, they probably pant- they they had pantyhose that used to come in these giant eggs that look like those plastic eggs that you would get for Easter. And they were like, probably, wow. I don't know, like nine inches tall or something like that. And, and it, it looked like that somebody had taken one of those and just stuck it on both sides of their heads and strapped it on there with some straps, you know? And so the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking that they're running around with pantyhose eggs on their head. Oh dear Lord. <laughs> oh my gosh. I- yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. I, I think I think we're done with the spoiler-free section here. Um, <laughs> Q River Song. Let's get into the the story here. Spoilers. All right. So. <laughs> we kick things off with a near accident in time and space. Um, an Earth freighter is going through hyperspace and nearly runs into the TARDIS. Well, the Doctor nearly materializes the TARDIS in front of the um, the freighter and manages to, with some brilliant maneuvering, materialize it within the freighter rather than, you know, smashing into the front of it. Um <laughs> As has happened before, um, yes. and after. <laughs> so there was that Titanic that blasted its way into the TARDIS the one time. Do you remember the episode where the TARDIS materializes in the ship and they can't open the door, so they have to dematerialize and turn it so that they can get out? 
Which, was it a fourth Doctor story? I think it was a tenth Doctor story, actually. Maybe yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, they, they, they try to get out, and it, they're, like, facing the wall, and they have to turn it around. I, oh, my I, God. I always felt like that that was the, the showrunner's way of saying, you know, why hasn't this happened before? You know? <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, one thing... One thing that you must know um, about the the galactic situation that the Doctor is about to blunder his way into is Earth, the Earth Empire, um, is at sort of a, a standoff with the Draconian Empire. They were two very powerful empires who were working very peacefully together, um, and then all of a sudden, freighting, freighter ships from either side started getting destroyed, and they were the reports of the other attacking the other ship. So uh, things which the high command of the Draconians and the, you know, president of Earth staunchly denied. You know, no, 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 right. this can't be happening. We aren't doing this. Why are you doing that to us? <laughs> um, it's a he said, she said, literally, uh, because the president of Earth is a woman and the Draconian king is a man. So it's a he said, she said. Um, sorry, that was <laughs> not funny at all. Um, <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> and, and the tensions are increasing so much that they are on the brink of war. But neither one wants to actually pull the trigger, even though there are agitators on both sides saying, you must strike the first blow or this is going to be bad. Right. Um, preemptive. Preemptive. So, exactly. Exactly. The doctor and Joe stumble into this freighter, which then ends up being under attack. And of course, the two freighter pilots dash out into the, the ship to defend their ship from the attackers and, of course, run smack dab into the Doctor and Joe, assuming the worst, and things just deteriorate from there. Now, there is a high-pitched sonic noise of some sort that <laughs> Joe picks up on. I want to know how the Doctor did not hear this. I mean... <laughs> He's not affected by <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's designed specifically for humans and draconians. I don't, I don't know. know. He's a time lord, so they but never he explained like he why didn't he didn't hear, hear it, it at all. I mean, surely he's not yeah. that that obtuse. I mean, <laughs> I mean, my my guess is it's specifically designed to work yeah. on humans and draconians, and since he is neither, <laughs> he couldn't hear it. But there's this high pitched sonic noise that causes the crew members and Joe to see what they fear the most for Joe. It's yeah. a drashig from the previous story, the carnival of the monsters, which is a, it just all teeth and body monster um, thing, which is actually very horrible. Um, if you have ever <laughs> seen carnival of the monsters, it's I a terrible, watch it. I terrible, seen it yet. you should still watch it, but it's a <laughs> terrible monster. <laughs> It's a sock puppet. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It looks like a sock puppet with uh, eyes stuck on the top of its head. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, and, of course, the, the, the human pilots see draconians boarding their ship. In reality, what's boarding their ship are ogrons. Now, if ogrons sound familiar, here's where things get convoluted, folks. Um, they should. Because we have yeah. seen Ogrons before in the, I think it's the Day of the Daleks episode, yeah. which was the first Dalek storyline that the Third Doctor and Joe had. Right. Um, 
and they were working for the Daleks, the Ogrons. So they're they're which, henchmen, they're mercenaries for hire. Which kind of makes you wonder where these two stories fall in sequence with each other in the actual chronological timeline. Um, probably not too close because the the design of the Daleks is is very different. Well, not very different, but it's different enough. And um, I think the Day of the Daleks is supposed to take place much earlier because they're time traveling to try and stop mm-hmm. things. <laughs> right. Um, but the, the Ogrons steal the cargo, knock out the pilot, um, stun the doctor and lock Joe back in, in you know, lock Joe up in a, a holding cell and leave <laughs> after sealing the door behind them and making sure that everything's all pressurized and good and everyone survives. Um, <laughs> Of course, they also take the TARDIS. Yeah. Because it was in the cargo hold. Because otherwise the story would have been really short. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and of course, as everyone comes to, the Doctor and Joe are immediately accused of being traitors and working with the, the Draconians um, or Drashig. Not Drashig. Uh, dragons, which is a pejorative term for Draconian. Yeah. Um, not very kind. Derogatory. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a derogatory term. Um, so they are accused of being uh, dragon agents and uh, were stowaways and all that fun nonsense, of, which, of course, the doctor <laughs> and Joe vehemently deny. Right. <laughs> because it's true. Um, and so they get locked back up and the military escorts the freighter back to Earth where they will, you know, be questioned. And this, of course, leads us into the first of what I like to call this story. Planet. Uh, this story is the Doctor Who and the Traveling Prison. Um, <laughs> How many times is he locked up in this thing? <laughs> we go from prison to prison to prison to prison to prison to prison in this episode. I think there's a new prison in each of the six episodes. <laughs> it is highly repetitive in that regard, I yeah. will say. However, there are, there's enough stuff that happens between the trips to prison that keeps it all interesting. <laughs> and there are several prisons that they visit a few times. So <laughs> th- th- this is Doctor Who and the Traveling Prison. I, I kid you not. I mean, if you want to see the Doctor sit around and wait, this is the story for you. It almost feels like the showrunners you said, you know what? I've always wanted to play. A, uh, I've always wanted to make a prison movie. So I think I'll make several prison movies in this story arc. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, I just, it, it, it boggles my mind sometimes when I watch this. It, <laughs> I had seen this episode a while back and I started watching it again to, you know, prepare for this episode. And I went, oh my goodness, he's in prison again. And again. And I stopped counting after like four or five. So, um, <laughs> I think I was in episode four. <laughs> So, <laughs> it is the one repetitive thing about this episode that sometimes drives me nuts. And I say sometimes because 
if I'm in the right mood for this episode, it doesn't bother me at all. But, you know, as I said, there's enough in this going on that it keeps it interesting. But sometimes if I'm not in the right mood, it just drives me nuts. I'm like, he's in jail again. He's in a cell. He's in the earth prison. He's in the master's prison. He's just, uh, he's locked up on the Ogron homeworld and, you know, all you, that you fun could, stuff. You could kind of equate it to like a game of freeze tag. <laughs> Yes, yes. High bursts of excitingness, you know, that's, that's split up moments of just sitting solitary without any movement. Oh, my goodness. Um, so be prepared for the Doctor and Joe to be waiting around in prison cells a lot as we talk about this episode. Um, Whew. All right, enough enough with me going not, on about that. Not not um, that this was the first time that the Doctor's story ever started out with them immediately being taken prisoner. I mean, let's be honest, that happens on right. the regular. It does. <laughs> it does. Um, but but uh. this happens a bit too regular. Um, it's like, you no, know, I was going to make a terrible digestive system pun and thought better um <laughs> it's it's like the prison runs um <laughs> I, I just thought better and i still said it ew <laughs> i'm sorry oh. i apologize <laughs> no seriously though it's it's almost like it's almost like the show decided you know we're just going to make fun of ourselves with how many times the doctor gets locked in prison, you know? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's a little ridiculous. Um, but to break this up, we, we take a look, um, at the, the president's office, the president of Earth's office, and she's meeting with the prince of Draconia, who is there representing his empire, um, as there are last ditch diplomatic talks going on, um, and of course, the president brings forward the two freighter pilots, you know, who swear up and down and believe wholeheartedly that they have seen draconians attacking their freighter. And he, they bring these two pilots in to make their statement in front of the draconian prince and say, what do you say to that? He's like, they're lying. They're obviously lying for you, for you, you know, they're your <laughs> servants, you know, and you get the idea that the draconians are still very hierarchical society. That word didn't come out quite smoothly, <laughs> but it's a kingdom. Um, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and so everyone is either a servant or, you know, a, a noble or something like that with the draconians, but he is not amused. And then when the doctor is questioned about being involved, he's like, I'm not involved at all. You know, and someone is trying to, you know, some third party is trying to pit you two at war against each other. Um, yeah. General Williams, who is the Earth general, uh, of course, uses that and says, ah, you are being very loyal to your draconian masters. And, of course, something <laughs> something the uh, draconian prince denies and says, you should have had your servants rehearsed better and then leaves in a huff. Um <laughs> This actually reminded me so, of one of the scenes that we would see in one of the, the boardrooms in one of the Star Wars movies a little bit. 
Um, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, except for the, some of the acting in this was just a little bit more over the top, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the the makeup for the Draconians is actually quite good. The makeup and the masks is, is yes. one of the better um, looks for the classic series. Um, so I'm I'm fairly it's, impressed with the especially the, the third design. Doctor era because not everything that yes. they put in the third Doctor era was as high a quality as other things. Claws of access, anyone? <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the psychedelic freak show. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> there are good moments in the claws of Axos, but I the color palette and design palette of that show nauseate me. Um, well, like we said before, there was a lot of experimentation going on in this era of the Doctor. So yes, yes, but. This was quite good um, as far as creature design and the way that they pulled it off. So I, I will give them props with that. Um, however, the Doctor's uh, insistence on the third party intrigues the Draconian Prince. The third party, you know, provoking war intrigues the Draconian Prince. He doesn't believe it, but he's intrigued by it. So he wants to know what the Doctor knows, what he really knows. Um, and so while the Doctor and Joe are being moved... They, the draconians stage a jailbreak. And unofficially. After a, unofficially. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you have other duties to attend. You know, I cannot sanction such an action. However, if he were to seek asylum, yes. we would, it would be uncivilized to deny him. You've got the understand your now just perfectly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I understand your majesty. Yes. Now, I will leave you to it. I'm sure you have other duties to attend. <laughs> you have the speech oh patterns down just perfectly. <laughs> oh. It is the the worst um, wink, wink, nod, nod, nudge, nudge. <laughs> right? Ever. It's so obvious. It's painful. But oh. it works because he's pretentious. Um, the Draconian Prince is pretentious. He, You know, he's... An honorable person, but he is pretentious. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, during the jailbreak, um, a firefight between the Draconians and the uh, Earth Guards breaks out. And Joe is recaptured by the Earth Guards. And the Doctor is the only one that makes it to the Draconian Embassy. <laughs> um, Joe is then brought in front of the President, who again pleads for her to tell the truth. And she's like, we have, <laughs> which is exactly what the doctor is saying right. to the draconian prince. <laughs> and nobody believes them. Either of them. <laughs> it's a little frustrating. Um, the draconians believe that, that general Williams is trying to provoke another war because apparently before this peacetime, this extended peacetime, there was war between the two empires yeah. as they were expanding. Um, so there is history here. And not nice history. The doctor, seeing nothing is happening with the Draconians, attempts to escape the embassy. He does, but runs right back into the Earth Guards and thus ends right back up in prison with Joe. Are you keeping count? Yes. 
Whenever you hear the word prison, take a drink. You'll be drunk before we're halfway done this episode. Count um, up how many times um, the doctor gets locked up and message us at the end of this thing with how many times that you get the doctor was locked up. See if your if your counts sync up to one another and uh, we'll have some fun with that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm not even keeping count. It's so much. Um, <laughs> however, as they settle back in for their wait, Joe hears the high-pitched sonic noise again. And that's the one. Um, they, oh, here they, they call it the hypno sound here in the uh, TARDIS wiki breakdown of this episode. Um, they, and of course that means the Ogrons are there and right. they break into the doctor's cell and break him and Joe out. Um, that doesn't go well either. Um, because the doctor and Joe are recaptured. Ogrons disappear. Um, the rescue attempt, the second rescue attempt, cements General Williams' suspicions and demands that this be grounds for war. Um, <laughs> and the president agrees to break off diplomatic relations, but doesn't want to strike the first blow. Yeah. So there are no more talks between Earth and Draconia. General Williams puts, uh, the doctor under a mind probe in order to find out what he's really all about, which of course the doctor overloads because he's telling the truth and nobody believes it. So they keep turning it higher and higher. Um, <laughs> and so it just goes out. What I thought was funny though, is when he was telling Joe about a previous time when he was hooked up yes. to the mind probe. <laughs> and I don't even remember everything that he said, but the gist of it was basically something like that. He was, uh, supposed to be on his way to to go talk to what was it a giant pink bunny rabbit or something and, and a unicorn yeah, and- <laughs> a, a unicorn and and like a, a purple elephant with yellow spots yeah <laughs> and they couldn't believe him obviously but he's like well they were actually it was true they're all delegates at this you know summit um, <laughs> but for his defiance uh, the doctor is sent to the the moon's penal colony where he will live out the rest of his days um, as a political prisoner. Um, However, the president hopes that, you know, does not send Joe there because she hopes that once she's out from underneath the doctor's influence, she will see the error of her ways and tell the truth. Well, Um, it's, it's, it's one of those scenarios where uh, just because she's a young lady traveling with an older man, they automatically assume that he's domineering over her in some way. And they don't know just yeah. how they ju- they don't know just how strong willed Joe actually is. <laughs> right, right. And she's definitely strong willed um, enough here, um, as you'll you'll see in a little bit. Um, because as soon as the Doctor is shipped off to the moon, a visitor arrives to speak to the President of Earth. He claims oh. to be part of the government of Sirius Four, which is a colony planet um, within the Earth Empire, but it has some autonomy. And he's bringing records. He's a criminal commissioner, by the way. He's a criminal commissioner, and he's got records that prove that Dr. and Joe are citizens of Sirius Four and are career criminals, and he wants to take them back to Sirius Four uh, in order to put them on trial for their crimes. And it's a, a whole laundry list of terrible things like, you know, uh, assault of... Uh, of a political figure, there's, you know, 
thievery, uh, you know, grand theft spaceship, right. um, <laughs> you know, terrorism, you know, all sorts of horrible crimes. In case you couldn't tell, this this criminal commissioner from Sirius 4 is the master. And he is there yeah. to get Joe and the doctor. Um, and, and guys, you know, trust me, you watch this. We're going through this a lot faster than the show does. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're already in episode three. Um, so, so Joe is sitting in prison by herself in a new change of clothes. Um, it's a, it's sort of a karate uniform with these high top, <laughs> like converse boots. Yeah. <laughs> which are kind of nifty, actually. <laughs> um, apparently the, the boots were like custom made and, uh, what's, that's the actress, uh, who plays Joe, Katie Manning. Katie Manning says that, um, that's the one item of costume that she regrets not a- asking to take home with her. So it's those <laughs> boots. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> they're like these platform high top converse boots, like knee length high top converse boots. They're pretty, they're kind of nifty. Um, How cool would it have for, been if they had brought those back with her character uh, when she came back in, in modern day, uh, you know, <laughs> in the uh, Sarah Jane <laughs> when she Chronicles? Was, when she, yeah. When she was with Sarah Jane, you know, <laughs> I'm sure Katie Manning would have loved to have had those brought back. Um, <laughs> But, but she's in this new change of, of outfit and, um, the prison door opens and there stands the master. And of course, she's like, ah, of course it makes sense now. You're behind the Ogrons and this, the hypno sound and all that fun stuff. And he's like, of course. Um, but I'm here to take you away from all of this. Um, you know, and she's like, I'd rather stay. And he's like, you don't have a choice. Um, and this is one of those instances where we get, the ambiguity of is the master out to do evil or is he out to do good? And of course, obviously he ends up out for his own interests, nefarious but, purposes. Yeah. But, but it, when he first shows up, he's, he's acting like he's there to be the hero, you know, uh, come now. I couldn't <laughs> see you rot in this prison right? for the rest of your life. <laughs> It'd be an unfortunate travesty. Something to that effect. It reminded um, me a lot of some of the stuff we saw uh, with Missy, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on, Missy. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> what are you doing this for? And of course, you know, <laughs> Joe doesn't trust the master as well. She shouldn't. Uh, but we don't really get the motivation for what the master, why the master is doing this yet. Um, he waits until he's got the doctor before he reveals that. But he has to get to the doctor first. The doctor is, of course, as I said, on the moon in a penal colony with the other political prisoners. And he has now uh, met a professor um, who is a leader of the peace party and has been put up there for political reasons. And the two of them essentially launch an escape plan. Um, professor Dale has been planning one for a while and has cultivated what he thinks is a friendship with essentially the enforcer for this wing of the prison, uh, the enforcer for the prison warden who's, or the prison governor who is a prisoner himself. Um, they have their own government there and that sort of thing. It's, yeah. As such as it is. Um, he likes to steal candy inf- bars. and. <laughs> 
that's 100% accurate in this story. <laughs> but essentially, he's, the professor thinks he he's has... He's like the bully on the know, playground. <laughs> oh, he totally! He totally is, and he's got his minion. He's got his minion, the enforcer, out there, you know, doing it, you know, all his right? bidding for him. Um, but he's the one sitting on top of the slide, you know, directing traffic, so to speak. Um <laughs> surveying his domain uh, from within the bars that they will never escape from. Um, So there's a ship landing on the moon. Of course, it is the master's ship as he's coming to get the doctor. Um, But the plan is for the doctor and Professor Dale to use some spacesuits that have been procured by the Enforcer and then moonwalk across the surface of the moon and steal the ship. So they're in the airlock area getting dressed into the spacesuits. When the door is locked, the air starts getting pumped out, and they realize the uh, air canisters for the spacesuits are completely empty. Yeah, that was something that I really kind of liked about this story, is just how dark this went. You know what I'm saying? Because... That's a really kind of a dark thing to throw into classic who uh, we're just going to suffocate you to death, you know, <laughs> right. Or we're just going to space yeah. you, you know, <laughs> exactly. We're going to completely space you, you know, you're going to explode from the vacuum. Um, have fun. And of course, it's the, right. And of course it is the governor and his enforcer who have set this up. Uh, because Professor Dale is a threat to them, um, as far as being able to inspire, you know, leadership and, and, and that sort of thing on the, the penal colony. Um, because there are quite a few members of the peace party, um, that are there. Uh, in fact, the professor joked at one point, he was like, sometimes I think there are more members of the peace party up here than there are down on earth, you know? <laughs> and so he would be a logical, you know, choice for a leader right. if someone, if he were to make a move. And so they have to off him. Um, and the doctor just kind of gets caught up in the middle of it. Thankfully, maybe, the master steps in and um, saves the doctor and the professor by, you know, pumping air back into the room and unlocking the door. And, <laughs> oh, my dear doctor, I've just saved your life, you know, all right? this stuff. And, um <laughs> It kind of makes and you wonder, he, though, why? <laughs> right, right. And we still don't get the reason. Um, he ha- The master has to negotiate, and by negotiate, I mean, you know, threaten right. um, the governor to release the doctor in, into his custody. The doctor is, at first, uh, does not want to go with the master. But then, of course, the master brings up the fact that, you know, this man always travels with a companion. Um, yeah. and I have her in my ship right now. And of course it's <laughs> Joe and the doctor acquiesces and goes quietly with the master. Right. So they leave the penal colony and get locked in the prison cell within the police ship th- that the commissioner master is flying. So yes, one <laughs> jail cell for another. Yeah. Um, and this is when we kind of finally get why the master is trying to save them. He, I think it's here where he tells them that imagine my surprise when the Ogrons brought your TARDIS back. And of course, you know, 
now that the doctor's involved, he can't have the doctor messing things up. So he's got to get the doctor under his control because they're in the crucial stages of setting the two empires at war. But see, here's the crazy part. He could have killed the doctor and it wouldn't have had an effect on what he was doing. <laughs> so True. this is the reason why we have, I say we have the back and forth between the whole frenemy thing between the doctor and the master, because it's almost like the master views this as a game. Like they're oh, playing totally... chess or something, you know, and it's like, he feels like that it's more fun if he shows off to the doctor, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, see, what, what the master has to do is he has to show the doctor that he's better than the doctor. He has beaten the doctor. And then with that knowledge, the doctor can die. You know, that is that is the, the ego maniacal side of the master. Yeah. Um, it, it almost does make sense, though, that people used to speculate back in the day that they were brothers. Because that's the kind of behavior that you would see between two brothers. It's, I'm going to prove that I'm better than you are, so mommy and daddy like me better, you know? And- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have some more information on that that I will share when we get to our discussion on the master. So hold on to that thought. So, of course, it is revealed that the master is the one directing the Ogrons to incite war between the empires of Earth and Draconia. But, the master isn't doing it on his own. He is doing it at the behest of someone else. So the master has been, the master has hired the Ogrons, but the master was also hired by someone, you know? So (laughs) while we've solved, you know, who's behind the immediate threat, there's Mm -hmm. still a larger mystery as to who's really trying to start this war. Right. That's still out there. Now, of course, the doctor and Joe try and stage an escape. Um, the doctor is going to sneak out of the cell, spacewalk over the top of the ship um, in order to get to the flight deck where he can take out the master. He can't just run from the prison block through the ship because the master's got the, the security cameras and we'll see him coming. And then he'll you know seal off the bridge and there goes any chance of escaping. I think that's the reasoning. Um, but he gets out of the cage, um, sneaks into a spacesuit and goes outside. Now, in order to not raise suspicion, Joe Grant is doing what Joe Grant does best. And that is talk up a storm. I know, right? (laughs) We talked about this a little bit, um, when back when we talked about Planet of the Daleks, which is the story right after this. Um, but this is where Katie Manning does a great job as Joe, and she just goes on for seriously five minutes straight. Bananas! And it's all to just create this noise so the master is oblivious to what the doctor's going on is, is doing. And the master, you know, turns down the volume on the cameras and he's reading his book, trying to tune her out. He and so it's working. He's tired of listening to her. And he's like, you know what? Forget this. And he just reaches up there, turns it down. Yeah, right. But 
but she's still going on and on about, um, you know, why did I ever let you talk me into this? You know, and sometimes right? you really should listen to the master. I think sometimes he has good points, you know, and all this stuff. You know, she just keeps going on and it's, it, 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 it flows from one thought to another and it, it's brilliant. I'm pretty sure it she was brilliant. improvising that entire thing. <laughs> I'm sure she had an outline of where, you know, she could go, but I swear the, the effectiveness of it is all due to Katie Manning and her ability to just oh. <laughs> word vomit that in a way that yeah. is brilliant. I and, love it. And I have to applaud her because she does it almost without taking a breath, you know, like there's, space for half a breath here and there, but she almost just doesn't stop talking at all. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's all coherent thoughts. It's all, you know, it's not just like background noise that she's trying to generate. It's actual sentences and thoughts. and It's really good. Um, If you, you know, although if you're like the master, it can be annoying if you're just like, oh my God, woman, shut up. You know, I mean, it, it, on the other side of it, it does do its, it does have its intended effect. Um, <laughs> you do have those instances in television and movie where they do that stereotypical comedic thing where the woman talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and the man's going, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Right. Yes, dear. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but I, like I said, it, it, as someone who has been in theater and stuff, <laughs> the ability that Katie Manning showed as an actress to do that that well, I'm I'm impressed. So I <laughs> I think it's great. It's one of my favorite things that she's you know, she grew to be able to do. Um, oh and, yeah. And Katie Manning is someone, um, as Joe Grant, who really improved from season to season on the show well, uh, by leaps and bounds. If I'm not mistaken, actress. I remember uh, reading somewhere that this was her first major acting role. I believe you that's know. right. I believe yeah. that's right. Hats off to her. But while she's talking up a storm driving the master to, you know, distraction, the doctor is making his way over the uh, the outside of the ship. When the master has to make a sharp course correction. Of course, because it wouldn't be Doctor Who otherwise. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Uh, which, of course, takes the ship away from the doctor, and he's left, you know, hovering there in space. Um, of course, if this was the modern series, and, they would have gone one level higher, and they would have had the doctor dangling by a cord or something while meteors are going past him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And one hits him in the helmet and he gets knocked out and the cord is starting to fray and and he has to find a way to, you know, once the ship settles back into proper, you know, trajectory, he has to wake up and then, you know, get a hold of something before the cord snaps and, you know. It's, as if, it's almost as if we've seen these kinds of things in the show before. It's just possible, um, to quote a certain brigadier. Um Oh, but that's one of the reasons why but, I love the show. So, you know, hey. Oh, yeah, I know. There, there, there's a certain Doctor Who trope um, that we have come to expect uh, in certain situations. And, and this is definitely of, one of them. It has a bit of charm, you know. 
and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but of course, Joe has to try and keep talking, even though she now believes the doctor be floating somewhere lost in space, miles and miles and miles away. And so she tries to keep going, but is a little bit unsuccessful at it enough that, so that the master suspects something as well. He should. Danger. The doctor, meanwhile, doctor, has danger. <laughs> Lost in space. <laughs> Just say the doctor, the doctor, meanwhile, has unscrewed one of the air tubes on his spacesuit and uses that, um, as, a directional uh, propulsion to propel himself back to the ship, which beggars the scientific mind a little bit because the ship should have peeled away and been long gone. And that should have never gotten him close enough back to the ship, but it's doctor who will allow it. Um, (laughs) If you're really looking to pick this episode apart, that's one that will stick with you. Uh, But it's a sci-fi doctor who British, (laughs) trope of the era go with it so the doctor makes his way back into the ship however the master has discovered that he's disappeared and uh has put joe in the airlock Hmm. and is now threatening the doctor to space her if he doesn't come out (laughs) because we've seen people spaced on the show before (laughs) yes we have all the way back with the first doctor actually (laughs) yep and that was a self-spacing in order to save everyone else. <laughs> we won't go there anymore. Oh. But we don't have to go there. Because as soon as this is whole setup is going on and the master of the doctor come face to face again, you know, all glary eyes and everything, um, there is uh, another ship that attaches itself to the master ship. It appears that the Master's accidentally strayed into Draconian space, and a Draconian scout ship, a uh, military ship, uh, has now boarded. And so the airlock that Joe was, that Joe was put in is now the connecting portion to the Draconian ship, and they burst through, and of course they grab her, and the Doctor, and the Master, and throw them in the prison cell, um, and head back to Draconia. Because they have violated Draconian space and there are no diplomatic relations with Earth anymore, so they must be brought in front of the, uh, the proper authorities. So they're prisoners once again! <laughs> yes! <laughs> this time with the Master as a cellmate! <laughs> oh. <laughs> the Master, of course, has sneakily turned on a tracking device. <laughs> and he's pretending to be asleep. He's pretending to be asleep. He's pretending, you know. <laughs> That none of this bothers him. Um, and of course, they, they arrive on Draconia and are brought before the Emperor of Draconia. And the Doctor greets the Emperor like an old friend. And this, of right. course, insults the Prince. And the Doctor goes, no, I was actually here and I saved the Fifth Emperor or whatever. I helps you know, save Draconia from a plague with the Fifth Emperor. Uh, or Fifteenth, excuse me. Uh, which was, you know, centuries ago. But he was able to provide enough detailed information to convince the emperor of his, the, the truth of his story. And the doctor then accuses the master of trying to start a war between Earth and Draconia, 
um, using the Ogrons. The Emperor begins to consider this when it is announced that an Earth spaceship has shown up. And that's when Joe hears the hypno sound again. <laughs> Which is really kind of annoying. <laughs> yes. As a sound effect, you mean? Yes. <laughs> and a story device? It's not quite <laughs> as bad as the sound that we got with the sea devils, but it's kind of right oh. on up there. <laughs> yeah. It's got that pitch that just kind of grates on you a little bit. Would you like to hear the second most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Watch the sea devils. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> that is a horrible noise. Um <laughs> but I, <laughs> this would be the third course, the, most annoying sound in the world. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, we'll we'll start ranking these. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh. of course, with the hypno sound going, the Ogrons attack, and the Draconians only see Earthmen. Uh, the Draconians grab the Doctor, or not the Doctor, the Master, and take off. Um, but fail to realize at first that one of their own got knocked out and got left in the throne room of Draconia. And so as soon as the hypnosound wears off, the Draconians see the Ogron for what it truly is and begin to believe the doctor. And the master and the Ogrons get back to the ship. And the first thing that the doc, the, the first thing that the master says is Lamont, you big dummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but the sentiment is there. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. Um, the Emperor of Draconia then says that the Ogron must be presented to Earth authorities in order to prove the Doctor's theory um, is correct. But since the Draconian ship will be shot down, they take the Master's police ship and head back to Earth <laughs> in it with the the Ogron in prison. So we're we're flying a prison ship, but we're not in prison. So that's a nice change of pace. <laughs> However, the Master is expecting this move, and they can't have the Ogron make its way back to Earth because then that just exposes them entirely. And so, while the captive Ogron breaks free, the master and his Ogrons board his own ship after damaging it with some missile fire. There, <laughs> the huge firefight is going on when an Earth battlecruiser shows up. The master and his Ogrons flee and leave the area <laughs> in such a hurry that they forget to close the door behind them. And so the doctor and Draconian prince are about to be sucked out into space. Um, before they can close the door. Um, however, the master and the Ogrons have taken Joe. So the doctor and the Draconian <laughs> prince are kind of captured by the earth authorities. Joe is captured by the master. Joe is headed back to the Ogrons homeworld with the master. The doctor and the Draconian <laughs> prince are headed back to earth. And this is where it gets convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> As if it wasn't already. Um, the Doctor and the Draconian Prince, though, are finally able to convince President and General Williams to see reason 
and addressing an old, you know, issue that happened with General Williams and an unarmed Draconian ship that he opened fired on back in the day. Um, that's resolved ish. That's actually a key point in the story, though, because you find out that the general is actually the cause for the first war entirely. He's he, yes. his his one action is the cause for the entire first war. And that's yes. a lot of weight to put on somebody. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the Draconians, you know, are traveling in a battle cruiser, even if it was unarmed. It's not exactly friendly. Um, so <laughs> we'll get more into that after we talk about the story, because there's some parallels to something else. That... Yeah. So we're going to try and wrap this up as quick as possible. Um, <laughs> so with General Williams, a detachment of troops, the Prince of Draconia and the Doctor make haste to the Ogron homeworld, where Joe is, of course, thrown in prison, um, and the Master of course, shows off, hey, the TARDIS is here, and I'm going to use you as bait for the Doctor. Now, this is where it gets interesting for Joe. He tries to hypnotize her in order to make her do what he wants. Yes, this was good. And and we get the classic Delgado Master, you will obey, you will obey me. me. You will obey me. Yes. And she just starts spouting nursery rhymes and tongue twisters. Yes. And it's in order to counteract the hypnosis. Uh, so she has grown in her abilities and is now able to stand up against the master. And he's actually know, right? impressed. <laughs> he's actually impressed. Um, so her mind is not uh, malleable as it was in her first appearance. <laughs> when he uh, hypnotized her and had her working for him unbeknownst to herself. So um, that was back she, with the Autons. Yeah, she even told him being hypnotized by you once is quite enough. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Yeah. Being hypnotized by you once once isn't is quite enough, thank you very much. Well, it seems I'm out of options, Miss Grant. Which, of course, he's not, but... Um, He's always got something. <laughs> He's always got something else up his sleeve. That's why he wears long sleeves, so he can keep a lot of things in them. Um, <laughs> oh. That's also why the doctor has pockets in all his coats, so he can keep even more things in them. Um, <laughs> a yo-yo and a sonic screwdriver and some jelly babies. <laughs> right, and string. Right. <laughs> you never know when that's going to come in handy. Um, and somewhere along the way, well, the psychic paper, you know. <laughs> right. All that fun stuff. Um, the uh, the master leaves, you know, some handy information about where their base is, you know, next to a, a radio transmitter um, with an easy reach of the, the cell, which he assumes Joe will be able to break out of, which he is right. And uh, the transmitter is used by Joe to, you know, send for a mayday. However, that only allows the doctor and the raiding party to home in on their location. And it's not a large enough signal to be sent much farther than that. Um, so it really is just as the master had hoped, uh, using Joe as bait to lure the doctor in, unfortunately. But this is where things really start to get interesting because the master then puts in a call to his employers and all he wants in return for, you know, his part in this is to become ruler of earth. You know, he wants to be the, the 
emperor of Earth, essentially, um, right. when they take over the galaxy, whoever they are. But they are <laughs> on their way to oversee the last moments of this operation. And so we start to have a conflict. Not, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but everything starts to coalesce into one moment. The doctor and the raiding In party. In other words, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they show up um, and are trying to, you know, sneak into the bunker. Uh, however, the master, the Ogrons, and his employers are waiting for them. Bum, bum, bum. And, and Paul, would you like to do the honors as to who the employers are? The Daleks. Exterminate. <laughs> yes. Bum, bum, Daleks bum. are t- <laughs> essentially the Daleks are tired of not having the most powerful empire in the galaxy because the Earth Empire and the Draconian Empire are both extremely powerful and extremely influential at this time. And the Daleks are tired of playing third banana. So it's an ego thing. It has nothing to do with anything other than ego. <laughs> no, no. And so they're trying to pit the two empires at war so they can swoop in and destroy the both of them at once and take over the universe. Right. That's their plan. <laughs> you know, with the doctor in chains and the raiding party captured or dead, uh, they think things are solidly in good hands with the master and leave to prepare their armies. That is when the doctor and Joe, General Williams and the Prince of Draconia plan one last jailbreak. They use the hypnosound on the Ogrons to make the Ogrons think that the Daleks are actually in the cages, and so they let them out. Um, <laughs> and as General Williams and the Draconian Prince are hightailing it back to General Williams' ship uh, so that the two empires can prepare for war against the Daleks, the Doctor and Joe hightail it towards the TARDIS, because their work here is done. Um, however, the Ogrons and the Master interfere, a scuffle breaks loose. Um, in a time cut from the scuffle, um, the Doctor apparently got hit severely, because mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't actually see it in the actual edit of the show. I don't know what happened to the Doctor, but one minute he's fighting, and the next minute we see that he's laying on the floor, knocked out and in serious pain. And the Ogrons are all running off. Yeah. With the master nowhere to be found. There's obviously more to that scene than what was in the edit. And, uh, it got cut somehow for time. Of course, now this is when the doctor is able to get up just well enough to make it back into the TARDIS with Joe. Yes. And just before passing out again, he's able to send a psychic message to the Time Lords to let them know what's going on. And using the uh, TARDIS's telepathic circuits. Right. Um, and, and that leads us actually into our next story arc. Yes. Which we've already talked about. And that is yeah. planet of the Daleks. Yeah. Um, we know that we didn't talk about this during our Dalek story reviews. And the reason for that is because this is mo- mostly about the master. But if you take the planet of the Daleks and frontier in space, and put them together, they're actually one giant story. It's yeah. not, they're not actually two separate stories. They're actually one giant story, but because they have two separate story arcs in that one giant story, we decided to discuss them separately for the Master and the Daleks individually. 
So that's why yes, we and- did not include them in our Dalek story reviews. And if you want to hear that one following this episode, you can go back and listen to that episode. Yep, that's going to be Talking Time Lords episode uh, 32, Planet of the Dalek Story Review. I, I looked that up um, for you guys. <laughs> so yes, episode 32, which that's um, 52 episodes ago, Paul? Yeah, that, that's um, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Um, we've had a few seasons of Doctor Who in the middle there. Um, I guarantee you, you will hear a difference in how the show feels now versus how the show felt then, because we're a little bit more seasoned now in this show than what we were back when it first started. So, <laughs> yes, what I will say is that um, Planet of the Daleks is my favorite of the third Doctor Dalek stories. Planet of the Daleks, I think, is quite good as far as Doctor Who, uh, third Doctor stories go. So it, it is one of my favorite third Doctor stories um, ever. Yeah, so yeah. do yourself a favor and go check that one out. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I kind of like to the way that these just book in together and just create that one ongoing storyline, you know? Yeah, it, it's like uh, Planet of the Daleks is the sequel book um, to <laughs> Frontier in Space. What you're saying it is uh, what you are saying is then that it is the last Jedi to <laughs> the f- frontier in spaces <laughs> Force Awakens. Force Awakens. <laughs> I wasn't going there, but we need a Star Wars reference, so I'll give it to you. <laughs> they are literally butted right up against one another. <laughs> yes. Yes they are. Oh. <laughs> Could um, actually be one movie. <laughs> Uh, One very, very long, long movie, but yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, oh. All right. Well, let, let's, let's try and wind this down a little bit because that was, <laughs> you know, it, it's a convoluted story that, as I said, is Doc, the Doctor well, Who in the traveling prison. It's um, kind of funny because it, in one respect, it's a simple story, but in another respect, it's a complicated story. So it's kind of an enigma, really, because if you really just kind of lay it out there and just say, this happens here and this happens here, it's very kind of simplistic in the, the way that it just kind of flows in a line, but the different things that are going on throughout that line and branching out like the branches of a tree, make it very complicated towards the end. You know, it is a, Uh, it is a very (laughs) simple general story structure, right? But it has about five or six subplots Right. That, you know, wind its way through this and kind of everything ends up coming to a head at the end. Which is kind of nice because you don't have to sit there and go, wait, what just happened? You know? (laughs) Right. As we have had had on a couple of stories we've talked about in the past. (laughs) Yes. If you had missed an episode, um, that wouldn't have been too detrimental to the overall story um, if you had missed an episode during this Unless it was one of the final episodes. (laughs) You know what I mean, Paul. <laughs> Let's talk briefly about Roger Delgado as the master here. And I, yes. I want to do, eventually I want to do an entire episode on Delgado's master because he deserves it. But let's briefly talk about yeah, we him should because probably he have, was the first official master. We should probably, at the end of our master episodes run, we should probably have individual, or if not individual episodes about each master, at least a, an episode about all of the different masters that we've had over the years. I agree. I agree. Now, uh, he's the original, and right. in that respect is one of my favorites when it comes to the master. He He set the mold... Uh, while you and I like to think that 
the war chief and the meddling monk <laughs> might be, you know, previous uh, regenerations for this character. You know, you can go either way on that one. But right, <laughs> Roger Delgado well, set the war chief the standard is very for- similar to this version of the, the master, though. So yes, he is. But Delgado set the standard for what the master was to be moving forward, right. and everyone has to live up to that, in a sense. Um, yeah, and everybody that writes the character uh, has to at least in some way refer back to the way that he portrayed the character and like the way that he would speak certain lines or certain things that the master would say. They have to keep that in mind while writing for that character so that it doesn't feel like a major departure from what Delgado created. Now, for those who don't know, this was not supposed to be his final appearance as the master. Uh, Roger Delgado was actually filming a movie in Turkey uh, when mm-hmm. he was unfortunately killed in a car yeah. accident when his driver went over um, a, a ravine. Um, it was it That's was bad. something that yeah something that hit everyone hard, um, and it was it was just a horrible horrible situation, and nobody you know it, nobody was untouched by it. Um, now. What I did learn, I was watching a couple of, of documentaries on the DVD for um, Frontier in Space uh, last night in preparation for this, and they were I wish talking I had about the DVDs. what they. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've spent way too much money to get to amass the collection of DVDs that I have. I still don't have all of them, and I need. I'm trying to get more, but um, uh. that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but. Roger Delgado was actually having trouble getting work outside of Doctor Who at this time because a lot of the producers and stuff out there thought he was a regular on the show. Mm-hmm. He'd appeared that much in Doctor Who. Yeah. And so they didn't consider casting him because they figured, oh, well, he'll be filming more Doctor Who. And so <laughs> he was actually in talks with the the Doctor Who producers to do a swan song, you know, a final episode. They were actually going to, you know, go out with a bang for the master here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were in pre-production on figuring out what that story would be. And uh, it's, you know, it's funny that, that they would have, it would have been some big larger threat that the doctor and the master would have had to team up together on. Right. Um, and one of the producers, I forget which of the producers it was said this, but they were looking at the idea of um, the master dying at the end. But in a way that saved the doctor's life, but you're left ambiguous as to whether or not the master died as a sacrifice or as a cause of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, whether he sacrificed himself for the doctor or not. And that was going to be ambiguous. You weren't going to know exactly. Right. Um, right. And one of the other ideas that they had toyed with in general with the character was that, you know, while the doctor and the master are definitely friends and colleagues from back in the day, they also kind of had in the back of their head, well, what if maybe they were brothers? And so yeah. the whole idea of the master and the doctor being related goes all the way back to this time frame. So that's never been something that's they've actually pulled ever pulled the trigger on, right. but it's definitely something that has been played with ever since the inception of the character. Well, that was something that was almost brought back and actually almost put into the show on the Eighth Doctor movie, that they had originally written a version of the script for the Eighth Doctor movie where they had that as part of the story, um, but yeah. they decided uh, they decided uh, about 
midway through the pre-production of that to to take that out and to make it uh, a completely different type of story. And that that is where I originally heard about that being a thing uh, was when I was uh, looking at a documentary talking about the making of the Eighth Doctor movie. And I did not realize that that was something that had gone all the way back to Roger Delgado. But uh, I, I yeah. did know that that was a speculation that some of the fans had talked about all the way back to Roger Delgado. That was something that was a fan speculated thing is to, well, I think the reason why this happens is because they're brothers and that's why they won't kill each other. I think that and could have been something, an interesting thing, you know. It's something the writers and the producers had toyed with and kind of danced around Right. On and off throughout the entire series, you know they they don't they never get close enough to give you a definite idea, but they mm-hmm. get close enough so that it's definitely a possibility. Right? You know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's a will they won't they? It's that ambiguous factor that they were going to look at, you know, having during this this finale, and so they were in. I guess they were in process of developing this grand finale right. for Delgado to go out with, and unfortunately, he was never able to film that. And the way the doctor is, you could very easily see that as being something that the doctor would be hiding. You know, that I mean, I, I think that would have been very easy to bring into the show. Uh, and it, it could go either way. I mean, it could be a great thing. It could be a, a not so great thing. It just it depends on how it's portrayed, you know. Um, right. But, yeah, I could definitely see that uh, having been a part of the show. Almost kind of yeah. like a almost kind of like a, what a Cain and Abel type scenario. Yeah, um, a little bit. You know, going back to Old Testament stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think that could have it could have been an interesting thing to add into the show. You know, I think so too. Before we wrap up discussion here on Frontier in Space, I do want to ask a quick question uh, regarding the Master, uh, Roger Delgado's Master in particular. Uh, do you have a favorite storyline of his um, from the Third Doctor era here? Me. <laughs> uh well it, it depends on it depends on why it would be my favorite or not my favorite um you know if we're talking about uh just cheesy fun you know kind of uh i like it because it's funny kind of entertaining kind of show uh i might be more prone to say that it would be um here, let, let, let me tell you mine. Let me tell okay. you mine. Uh, because this is my favorite uh, Roger Delgado master story, regardless of why. Uh, just in general, period. Uh, and it's going to be the Daemons. I flippin' yeah. love the Daemons <laughs> so much. And he is so great in that. He's so dastardly evil, but he's also, you know, this supposed to be the, you know, the, the vicar and he's manipulating the people, but yet he's here as the, you know, this cult figure and he's, you know, doing all these, these incantations and it's so great. He's so good, um, in it. And, and (laughs) I love him. I love him in that. So if, if you were going to talk about, uh, more of a serious kind of you know story with the master and that kind of thing, that would be my favorite too. Um, because that is a little bit more along the serious tone type of storyline and whatnot, even though it does have some cheesy elements in it, like all of Doctor Who does. But if you're talking about the quirky, kind of weird, kind of almost funny, you know, just off the wall kind of master storyline, I think my favorite would be Terror of the Autons. Uh, okay, with, his first with, one. With the with the plastic doll that comes alive and everything, you know, and the chair that swallows the guy, you know, um, 
I know that it's it's really weird and really off the wall and really crazy, but I really kind of like it for that reason, you know. Um, so it, it would probably, you know, on two different ends of the spectrum, uh, one of my favorites would be Terror of the Autons. One of my favorites would be the, the Daemons, uh, but for two totally different reasons, you know. Uh, nice. <laughs> well, let's bring the discussion back to Frontier in Space. Um, final thoughts on on this story, Paul? I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Just despite the fact that you can literally see that these are model spaceships and that clearly look like plastic model spaceships um, and the, the horrid costumes of the soldiers and things, um, I really think the story is one of the better third doctor stories in my opinion. I, I think that uh, the pacing of it is good. The, 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 uh, the dialogue is pretty good. You know, you don't have a lot of wasted space or a lot of wasted opportunities in the story. Um, and on top of that, because of when it falls in the timeline of the show, you really get to have that comfortableness of Delgado and Pertwee knowing how to play off of one another in a way that makes this really feel real. You know, it doesn't feel put on. It feels like that, that this is something that is real to them, you know? So it's a kind of a character piece in my opinion, because it's, it's more character based than it is about the flashy lights and the spaceships and things like that, you know? And I really kind of like it for that reason. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good reason. Um, I like the show, the, the, this, this, um, the storyline, uh, I do think it's a little repetitive, um, at times. Yeah. Um, especially, like I said, with the, the, you know, from one prison to another prison to another prison right. to another prison ad nauseum. <laughs> right. And I think there might have been a couple of them that you could have cut out and still got the story across. <laughs> um, that being said, it's a fun story. Yeah. I like the story and, and there is enough other stuff in there to keep the repetitive nature of the prisons entertaining. Um, almost and, funny. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Almost funny. Uh, and so that there's enough other stuff going on between the different characters that it keeps the plot moving along anyway. I think I'm going to be, I'm going to be Paul here for a minute. I'm, I think uh, <laughs> this story could have been an episode shorter. Um, you, you could have cut that. out a little bit of this. I could see um, that. But, oh, but overall, I think it was very solid, a very solid story. And, and one that, like I said, I've seen it about half a dozen times. Um, <laughs> we actually were going to record this episode before last season started of Doctor yeah. Who. And so we, we watched it in preparation for that and just never had the time to record before the season started. And we we're like, well, yeah. We've got new episodes we got to talk about, so we did that that's, instead. Um, that's why this was my third watch instead of my second. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. So I, I've seen it several times, um, and I still enjoy it uh, enough to you know that I won't roll my eyes when I watch it again. You know, it, it's I I I don't think I will ever watch Claws of Access by choice. 
unless I'm doing a watch through and my OCD nature will say, well, it's the next episode. So you need to watch Claws of Axos. You don't um, want a case of hot sauce? No, I don't. Because <laughs> it looks like it threw up all over the Puce spaceship. Um, oh, I will uh, I'll say this. I, I, I agree with you that this could have been an episode shorter and it could have probably even benefited from doing that. I will say this, though. There's a difference in something being a slow burn and something just being a drolling, dragging, dull thing. And this is not yes. a dragging, dull, boring thing. It, it is a slow burn. It, it might be a, at times a little bit of a slow, too slow of a burn in a couple of places, but it's not a dragging kind of drawn out thing. So, no, uh, you know. And, and especially when you get to the last half of it, the mm-hmm. burn picks up. Um, and so things start to move quicker as more and more is revealed, um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but you're right. It is a slow burn and that definitely, uh, is evident in the first half, but there's a lot of backstory that they're establishing and, and we didn't really get in mystery that's being built up too. They're they're trying to get you to wonder who's doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so we didn't get into that as deeply. Um, here because we wanted to, you know, get through this in a timely fashion. Uh, right. But I definitely recommend going and watching it for yourself. Now, Paul. Yes. Since this seems to be the theme of the show <laughs> here tonight, how many prisons are you going to rate hmm. Frontier in Space? Since I'm a little bit more forgiving about the prison after 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 prison. <laughs> and the fact that um, it, it is a little bit of a slower burn than a lot of people would appreciate. Since I'm more forgiving of that, I think I'm going to give it an eight. Because I really okay. did enjoy this story. No, it's it's good. And and definitely the, the master... And, and obviously you know, while it's overlooking not his... the special effects and stuff. So, you know... <laughs> right. We're, we're, we're used to those by now. Um, we're, we're used to the third Dr. 70s special effects. Yeah, whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> there's actually, there's literally one spot where you can see the fishing wire that the, the ship is being dangled from, but, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and the wire holding the doctor as he's spacewalking. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yes. You can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. There's one shot where you're like, oh, it's like they didn't even try from the to hide it. <laughs> he is suspended from the ceiling. Um, they were oh. trying to get a a better, you know, a more interesting camera angle and right. caught the wire against the ship, <laughs> and so it didn't blend into the the black space background, uh, which is what happened. That's why you can see it. So, um, but that's neither here nor there. So, uh. I'm going to give uh, Frontier in Space a seven. I, I, I poke at this show, that this episode, <laughs> mercilessly for the, the repetitive pr- nature of the prisons. I do, but it's really not as bad as I, as I, you know, make fun of it for. I, I, I want to assure everybody it's not that bad. However, if you're looking for a drinking game, Kool-Aid, you know, soda, kids, um, Let's see how hard we can get them. (laughs) Let's see how much caffeine we can get into these kids. Oh, Um, wow. They will die. (laughs) (laughs) They will die. Every time. Don't make this a coffee drinking game. (laughs) 
your heart will explode. You, you will not fall asleep for three weeks. Um, your eyeballs every time will a, pop out of your skull. <laughs> but it would be a good episode for that. Uh, if you're, you know, every time someone gets shoved in prison, take a drink. And it would be a good episode for that. Oh, um, Red Bull. That being said, that being said, I'm giving it a seven. The master <laughs> is great. Uh, the interactions between him and the doctor and, uh, um, Joe are, are terrific. The, the three main stars of this episode are great. The supporting cast is, is pretty solid. A few of the extras are odd, but that's to be expected. Um, but no. the, the, the overall cast is a very solid cast and they, they believe, you know, they, they, they pull it off in a believable, a believable fashion. Now, going back to, uh, the, the point in the story where we discover that the general is the, uh, the only one to blame for the entire war that took place between Earth. That is something that is actually paralleled, um, in the Babylon 5 TV show. Uh, because that show picks up after the Earth Mimbari War. And the Earth Mimbari War was started because of an accident that happened where the people of Mimbar and the people of Earth were supposed to be meeting for the first time for diplomatic relations to, to kind of introduce themselves to one another. And the, the Mimbari see it as a, a, uh, a symbol of, of respect and honor to others to keep their gun ports open on their ships. And earth saw that as a sign of aggression. And so one earth uh, officer ordered their ship to open fire on the Mimbari ship, which was only trying to show respect by having their gun ports open. And that one order started the entire earth Mimbari war. And so this, this, this show takes place as, as a, it, showing you like the, the after effects of what it was like after that war ended and after, uh, uh, Mimbari inexplicably, after the Mimbari inexplicably surrendered at the point where they were literally about to annihilate the entire Earth army uh, or Earth fleet. Just saying that's, that's, it's kind of an, an interesting parallel. I think that, that that would be kind of revisited in a, in a newer show. So Babylon five took place after this episode of Dr. Who. Yes. Like years after, uh, like probably 30 years after close to 30 years after. Um, Oh, the, the newer one. Yeah. There wasn't, there was an older one, right? No, there was, there's only, there's, no, there's only been one. Um, I actually, I have all of the DVDs here behind me. Um, I'm mixing my, my sci-fi shows then. If, if you ever want to borrow them, I have all of the DVDs here behind me. Um, <laughs> it's actually, it's a pretty good, it's, it's a very character driven show, which is something that I'm very fond of is character driven. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing that that would be something that would be revisited. And, you know, a show that came out 25, maybe 25, 30 years later. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty interesting. So who knows? Maybe one of the, uh, the writers and producers on the show grew up watching Doctor Who and remembered this episode. Very possible. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we should probably start winding this thing down. We've been going for a little bit here. So um, if you want to get in on the discussion about uh, Roger Delgado's Master, uh, Frontier in Space, or anything else, uh, oh. please be sure to... 
Can, I, can I speculate real quick? Of course, Paul. <laughs> Hi. Interrupt my wrap-up, why don't you? <laughs> Just, you know how I like to speculate and how I like to, to poke the bear, to poke Jason being the bear, um, <laughs> with Grr. my speculations uh, about uh, Speculation different, stick. Different, uh, different things with the Doctor Who timeline and things like that. Uh, no, I, something hit me, something struck me while I was watching this story arc this time. And that is how this this final episode of this story ended with the master failing the Daleks and how the eighth Doctor movie started with the Daleks putting the master on trial <laughs> and how it could have been possible, however unlikely, that... The eighth Doctor movie in the Masters timeline picks up after this. And then you have the events of the eighth Doctor movie. And then with the things that happened to the Master in the eighth Doctor movie, which we've discussed, which you can go back and listen to if you've not seen the movie. He is then disfigured, horribly so, leading into the events of the fourth Doctor. Maybe. Um, I think what's more <laughs> I think what is more likely <laughs> is that the Daleks don't forget. Right. And hundreds and perhaps thousands of years later, they run across the master and put him on trial for this failure. You know, it's I, possible. I, I don't. I'm just saying. I, I, <laughs> it, yeah, yes. But not everything needs to be convoluted, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbliness. But it makes um, sense. <laughs> it fits. If, if you squint and tilt your head, yes. Um, <laughs> I think oh, I may goodness. have given some spoilers away leading into the, the fourth Doctor's stuff. Oh, it, it's been out for f over 40 years. <laughs> People can get over it. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, oh, but, but, we will not but be I, discussing the fourth Doctor of Master episodes on our next episode, though. No, no, we are going to take a quick break from the Master Story Arc um, storylines, and we are going to uh, revisit Peter Capaldi real quick. We're going to do a, sort of a retrospective on his turn as the Doctor um, and, and what we enjoyed, uh, what maybe didn't quite work, what, you know, just, like I said, a retrospective of Peter Capaldi's time as the 12th Doctor, what it meant for the show and that sort of thing. Um, so we'll be discussing that in our next episode. And then we'll probably jump right back in and try and get some of the, the Master Storyline episodes done before uh, the fall hits and we have to uh, break for uh, Doctor 13. See, I thought you were going to say so. we'll jump back in for some fourth Doctor goodness, but, you know. Well, I mean, <laughs> that too. Um, fourth Doctor. Oh, oh, oh I didn't show you, did I? I did not show you, did I? Look uh -oh. what my wife got me. For Valentine's Day. Well, that's nifty. Yes. <laughs> if this makes it into the podcast, folks, uh, he's got a rather large uh, Fourth Doctor statuette here um, that looks pretty nifty. I like um, it a lot. <laughs> in, his, in his in his gray coat with his sonic screwdriver and outstretched hand. Yeah, it's the uh, uh, what do they call it the the maxi bust that's like three quarters of his body from like below his coat all the way up to his head. 
Well, we need to wrap up this episode because it's late as we are recording. And, uh, yes. So if you want to weigh in on anything to do with Frontier in Space, Roger Delgado's Master, or anything else that pops into your Whovian mind, please, uh, you know, leave, you know, drop us a line on our social media, facebook.com slash talking time lords. Uh, we can also find our group page through our, our page there on, on Facebook, which is a bit more interactive discussion. Uh, you can also tweet us at, at talking time lord or email us at talking time lords at gmail.com. The website with all of the links to our social media, as well as links to all of our previously released episodes is www.talkingtimelords.com. So stop by there for all your Doctor Who needs. Um, <laughs> we even have a link to the TARDIS wiki on there. We do, we do, which is, you know, helps with a lot of the, the note-taking for this show. Um, <laughs> I don't take a lot of notes for this show because it does it for me. Um, <laughs> especially when we go back and do reviews. Um, it helps me recollect what I just saw. So, uh, that being said, <laughs> Paul, you got anything else before we uh, spin off into the time vortex? Hmm, not today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Um, Maybe tomorrow. Of course, then it'll be too late. <laughs> Clever. All right. Well, that'll wrap up before we make any more terrible jokes or puns. That'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. Uh, this has been episode number 84, Frontier in Space. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. You will obey me. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you.
Prison after 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 prison after